Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Back to Thursday, Buckeye Talk. Douglas Maurice here. Nathan Baird and Stephen Means will be along shortly. This is another rapid fire for you. That's what we're going to do most Thursdays here, I think, during the Ohio State season. Then we will wrap up this pod with a live report from Wednesday night practice interviews where Nathan and Stephen were. They'll bring you the most interesting things they heard there at the end of the pod. I was not there because I was at our live Browns preview show on Thursday night, which you can hear on our Orange and Brown Talk podcast if you're interested in that. I was at that show with uh, Terry Pluto, Mary Kay Cabot, Ashley Bastock, Irie Harrison, Dan Lobby. That was a lot of fun, but uh, this is an Ohio State podcast. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to do rapid fire from our tech subscribers. We're going to do... Reasons for the passing game, the offense being a little bit off. That's the first question. We're going to talk about Tyleek Williams. We're going to talk about Bronny James and the recruitment of him. What it might mean, not just for Ohio State basketball, but also Ohio State football, if he would choose to come to Ohio State. Um, Things to do at an Ohio State game. If you're going to a game and you haven't been in a while, what should you do before the game? What should you watch for in this game against Arkansas State? Talk a little about Paris Johnson. We talk about what if Ohio State had taken advantage of a couple more opportunities and won a little bit bigger. We have uh, Stephen Means checking in on his prediction of Marvin Harrison Jr. breaking the touchdown record this year. Uh, Some advice for kids, for parents that I offer. And then at the end, because people like some of this stuff, we talk about some of the beat changes on the Ohio State beat. Some people at different places. Why does it seem like every now and then people do move around a lot? I, I think some people like when we check in on the beat. Some don't care about it. It's the last question of the rapid fire. Then at the end of the rapid fire, it'll be about 15, 20 minutes of Nathan and Steven with practice updates. Thanks to you guys for being here with us. As always, let's get right to rapid fire. All right, down to rapid fire here on the Thursday Buckeye Talk. Let's start off number one. We're ranking something here. From the 3-3-0, what is more to blame for the offensive struggles on Saturday? It being week one against the top five team, Losing Jackson Smith and Jigba early or not having Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. So let's make those the three categories. It's early. You lose your best dude or you're missing your NFL receivers. And let's each put those in order. One, two, three, which most contributed to it. So Nathan, what would be your number one of those three options? I know what my number three would be. My number one is tougher, but I think, I think I probably would say losing Jackson Smith and Jigba that as good as I think Notre Dame's defense legitimately is that I think losing a talent of that kind who was so integral to the game plan that they came in with Ohio State came in with and is just so able to do things on a field um, instinctually 
And with the connection he has with CJ Stroud, that's been building longer than with these other guys. I think we saw the um, ramifications of that absence playing out through that long stretch of the game where they just weren't scoring points. That would also be my number one. And, and both Ryan Day and CJ Stroud talked about that on Tuesday, that it kind of, you know, kind of was a thing. Steven, what would be your number one? Yeah, that would be number one. You just spent nine months preparing for this game with the idea that he would be the focal point of the offense and you lost him five minutes into the game. So what's your number two, Stephen? Is it losing Chris and Garrett, or is it that it's week one against a good defense? Week one against a good defense. And the reason I went with that one over Chris and Garrett is Notre Dame's still a quality opponent. It's not Notre Dame isn't like C.J. Stroud put it. They're not some bums. They're a quality opponent. But also, in rewatching this game, part of the reason the passing game struggled a little bit outside of some things that were going on with Ohio State was Notre Dame – was too high safety basically the entire game and forced everything to stay in front of them and took away the home run hitting ability of this Ohio State offense. When you combine that with the misses they did have, you get some weird, funky stuff, which is why it was such a big deal when they finally blitzed two safeties and Xavier Johnson gets the touchdown. But that's that's more about Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman, and their defensive scheme than it was like something Ohio State wasn't doing. And that's, they're going to, you know, they dropped eight a lot, right? Mm -hmm. CJ Stroud was talking about that. They are going to see that. Nathan was, what did you have for your number two, Nathan? That's my number two also. And it plays in a little bit to number one, though, because again, as I said, going into the pod, we needed to, or into the game, we needed to remember this is Marcus Freeman, who knows a thing or two about coordinating defense. It's Al Golden, who's been doing this for a while. Notre Dame has some, you know, veteran guys on defense. We know the talent level that they had from a couple of those guys, um, you know, Brandon Joseph and Isaiah Foskey. And this wasn't going to be necessarily a, a a team that Ohio State could just blow off the field from the beginning, the way it did against Michigan State. So that plays into though to number one because if you could be a fly on the wall at Notre Dame's defensive meeting or on the sideline like how does it change schematically for them defensively when they don't have to worry about Jackson Smith and Jigba anymore and now they get to come after Ohio State maybe in a different way their their DBs get to approach that game in a different way more to the point though like the the distant third for me is Olave and Wilson just because Mm -hmm. it's it's college football man guys rotate out and oh sorry like that's they don't you don't usually play on this team anymore you don't usually rotate out two first round receivers uh, Ohio State wants to. That's going to be I mean, the Bama, reality. Bama did, and they just rolled out two more first-round wide receivers a year after that. And if that's the concept we're hitting for here with this wide receiver room, then, okay, you lost two first-round wide receivers. You should have two more on the way with the way he's well, – Brian Hartline's recruited this room and developing these Okay, guys. should, should, do. I, I would put losing Chris and Garrett second, and I would put week one third. The headline that I put on the podcast for our game preview, preview – was Notre Dame can't cover Ohio State's receivers. So, yes, Notre Dame is better than Utah State, and Notre Dame is better than Rice, and Notre Dame is better than Central Michigan and Albany and UTEP and all these lousy teams, bums, you know, that CJ said they're not bums, right? A lot of teams did play bums in week one. But we thought that the vulnerability of the, of the Notre Dame defense was that they didn't have guys who could match up with these receivers, right? This isn't a team with great corners. They'll, Ohio State will see better corners than this. 
And the idea that you lose Jackson and then what? I actually think contributes to, and then you don't have Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And Emeka Buka was certainly productive. I mean, he had 90 yards receiving, right? In a kind of slowed down offensive game. But I certainly, after week one, in a world where, you know, Marvin had a ball in his hands in the end zone that he didn't catch, it's fine, right? Stuff happens, I get it. And in a world where, you know, CJ was saying that ball that we thought, hey, Mecca maybe could have settled down in that zone a little bit and CJ didn't want to lead him into the defender. CJ was like, I thought I put it in a good spot. He said that Tuesday. I thought that ball was, was where it needed to be. And you're talking about, yes, Notre Dame ran a defense that was like, we're not going to allow ourselves to get beat deep. But they didn't, they didn't even take a shot. And there were times last year when Ohio State didn't take shots. It's still sometimes when you have Chris Olave, it's like you can find a way to take a shot no matter what because it's Chris Olave. So I, I think the idea, like the week one part of it to me is what CJ was saying, which is like, yeah, it's week one. You know, it's a little clunky because it's week one, whatever. And that week two, week three, week four, week five, you're good to go. And I, I'm certainly not worried, but I think it's possible that they're going to miss Olave and Wilson maybe a little bit more than we anticipated. Because, Stephen, I would say, right, if that ball's going to Chris Olave in the end zone instead of Marvin Harrison Jr., it's probably a touchdown. So was that because it was week one or was um, it because Marvin Harrison Jr. is not as good as Chris Olave? I think sometimes Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were very good and – this is going to sound like I'm hating and I hate it so much, but it is what it is. Chris Olave had some games last year where we were talking about how he wasn't getting the ball. Well, I mean, Chris Olave had some drops last year. Garrett Wilson's made some mistakes as well. So they were this two. This is unbelievable. I cannot. I see. You see this. It's, it's yeah, like. Because but, it's like you, you spent three years of Garrett Wilson. It's like Garrett Wilson is the greatest player in the history of football. And now it's like, well. But he's not perfect. Okay. Yeah, it, you scream into the microphone. You just blew people's sorry. ears out. Uh, and what well, they're not perfect. Okay, I'm they just, they did come no, with their mistakes. Perfect. Too. Are they better than the receivers that they have right now? Yeah, yes, but I think. But, go ahead. But Nick, I think that's I think almost. A, I think it's almost a better way to say it. I, I think the part that I reject Let's, is like it's not like there was a surprise NFL draft in August and these guys left. No, they've but, had eight months to prepare for this, and no, it's, but we were assuming the next round of receivers was ready to go, and and they looked well. But the, that's the way to say it because Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson weren't ever going to be here. So I think the way to ask me. I understand that you're kind of spinning it that way, but that would have been the better way to ask the question is, are these other receivers just not good enough? And maybe they're as they good as the guys who aren't here. And quite frankly, they they, miss Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And well, to be fair, were. they might be ready to go. It's just all of a sudden, instead of being number two and number three on the hierarchy, they're number one and number two because Jackson, got, which is possible. Out that's, the game. that's very true. So it's like Absolutely. they were ready to go in their role. Right. When that right. role changed, it changed things for everybody. Which is why Jackson missing yes. number one clearly for everybody when mm-hmm. you said they can't cover ohio state receivers jackson smith and jigba was the number one guy that they couldn't yep. cover that's correct and and i also think let's remember like number one that ball didn't hit marvin harrison in the numbers it was a, it was a tougher catch than that one he wishes he should have caught should have caught but i agree with steven that there were balls similar to that that these guys that are in the went in the first round of the nfl draft also didn't catch last year but also three of the first five games last year jackson smith and jigba had two catches like, I think there's going to be an adjustment period. This, this this offense still does have to build, it does still have to coalesce in a game way over a period of weeks. And, you know, they were 
in some ways, you know, they win. They found a way to win despite what happened. And now they get a couple of weeks to sort of build towards Wisconsin. All right. This is, I just threw this in with number one because it's about the offense. From the 317, not a question, but I saw Ryan Day at Quincy Market in Boston this past winter eating clam chowder. <laughs> Do you think he's a cream or broth chowder guy? I am not a chowder guy. Steven, I'm going to guess you're not a chowder guy. That no, so this is a Nathan question. Nathan, are it's you It's not. Like, I didn't grow up. I grew up Ooh. with like I grew up with like chili and vegetable soup in the cornfield in the Midwest. I didn't grow up with clam chowder. I thought Doug would have a he's more he's you're the East Coast guy here. So I am. And so, yeah, that's I my fault. I didn't even know there was broth chowder. I thought it was all cream chowder. Well, there's two. There's like there's like New England clam chowder and then there's Manhattan clam chowder. And like the New England clam chowder is like white and the Manhattan clam chowder is red. Right. I think what is chowder? Red. Exactly. It's fish soup. Okay, because you're on the you're near the ocean, so you put fish in your soup. Okay. So um, instead of stew with like beef or something in it, it's just mm. it's like that, that's how much of a not a chowder guy Stephen was. Like he was introduced you know to was. the word today. <laughs> oh, yeah. Chowder. <laughs> so I should know because again, I think I've told people this. But it's like Ryan Day is from Manchester, New Hampshire. My father was from Manchester, New Hampshire, so I should have a better handle on this. I was up visiting my relatives in Manchester, New Hampshire all the time. And I've had conversations with Ryan Day about Manchester, like when he got here and it was like, oh my gosh, the new Ohio State offensive coordinator is from Manchester. Nobody's from Manchester. And so he and I have had Manchester conversations. We've never had a chowder conversation because I don't like fish soup. So that's my bad. But I will say I have asked Ryan Day about this. When I went to, when I would go to Manchester, there used to be this gigantic baseball card store. It was called Collector's Heaven. And it was like, go visit my grandma, see my cousins, go to Collector's Heaven. That's what I did on my trips to Manchester. And I did say to Ryan Day one time, you go to Collector's Heaven? And he, he was like, go to Collector's Heaven. My brothers and I were at Collector's Heaven every Saturday. What are you talking about? So I like to think of the idea sometimes of maybe 14-year-old little Dougie was in Collector's Heaven for his once-a-year trip and some like five-year-old was in his way. And I was like, get out of the way. I'm trying to get baseball cards. And that five-year-old was Ryan Day. So we'll have to Very see if possible. that actually happens. So that's so I don't have a chowder story, but I do have that. To, to answer this question, I think whatever the New England clam chowder is, I think that's what he would have. I like to think of him as uh, like Jed Bartlett from the West Wing, where like anytime there was a choice between like the New England version of something and not, he would like demand. So like he's going around the Woody like demanding to have only like the east coast version of things like on the on the training table the buffet or or things like that like is that a new england lobster roll or is that you know yeah. that kind of thing I, I do i also like to envision a world where when ryan day is here i don't think he's trying to remind people that he's from new england he wants to be ohio state's coach he doesn't want to constantly remind people he's not from ohio he dropped something in the other week about watching the patriots on the weekend. And again, when I wrote a story about him, it's like, that was his thing. College football growing up, like was not his thing. It was sit down, watch the Patriots with his grandfather. So sometimes I think, and he, he goes back to New Hampshire. Like that's one of his vacation spots that he and his family go. Cause his wife's from there too. And in my head, when Ryan day gets back to New Hampshire, he's like, Oh my God, that guy, guys, that game against that team up North, that was wicked. Oh my God. Can you believe we didn't win that one? We didn't even make the playoff, fellas. You want to go sit, like, and he's like, oh. And then he comes back here and he's like, hey, I'm Ryan Day. I'm a football coach. But back home, he's just, ah, eh, Jim Haba, 
Oh my God, Jim Haba. I just want to punch that guy right in the throat. That guy has a wicked pain in my butt. Oh, I feel like we have a new thing now. Now we have New England Ryan Day as my new. Are you saying that Day goes oh home my and God. He completely switches up his accent? Yeah. Because he's relaxed. Yeah, because like he he's, just he just like settles in. It's, he's, yeah. he's reverse Brian Kelly. Yes, he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> like one day in when, every way. <laughs> if and when Ryan Day is the head coach of the Patriots. His first news conference is going to be like, oh, my God, I've been waiting my whole life for this job, fellas. And we'll be like, who is this? It's like, no, it's Ryan Day. It's just New England Ryan Day as opposed to Columbus Ryan Day. Okay, this is I wanted to get into PFF snap counts at some point this week from the 419. Did Tyleek Williams have a good game? He can't get sacks every game, but I'm not sure he was disruptive. However, I understand that can be controlled with double teams and play calling. He seems to be one of the key components of the future. Natty, how did he do? So let's do this first. Tyleek Williams played, according to PFF, 15 snaps. Tron Vincent played 33. Mike Hall played 30. That is the big chunk of the defensive tackle snaps. Ty Hamilton played 11. Jerron Cage played nine. We had talked about a five-man rotation at tackle right we thought it would be five guys nathan it was five guys that is a heavy load for vincent and hall mike hall played twice as many snaps as tyleek williams what are you surprised by that what do we make of that we spent a lot of time in the preseason talking about how hey maybe jim Knowles in the back seven doesn't want to rotate but larry johnson always wants to that was a maybe it's because the game was kind of slowed down. There weren't as many snaps that as Ryan Day was talking about. There's only 49 defensive snaps yeah. by their count the whole game. Mm-hmm. Is that the deal here? What do you think of that snap breakdown? So I think that is part of it. That one of the reasons you rotate on the defensive line is because guys are getting worn down if they're out there too much and they didn't have to be out there that much. So I think as we get into some games where the snaps are a little more equated between the teams, you're going to see them get a little bit more equated between those defensive tackles, but also. There's what we knew going into the game, or what we thought we knew going into the game, and then what we now apply, having watched them schematically do their defense now. And the thing that changes this whole thing is who comes off the field. You know, th- th- for whatever reason, I think they see Vincent and Hall as the maybe the two most versatile tackles, mm-hmm. and those guys maybe make the most sense to be on the field in all of the Jack setups. Because now Mike Hall ends up being sort of a, depending on where Jack Sawyer is standing, now Hall was almost an end there. He's out over a tackle, man. He is out over a tackle. So, you know, it's it's an interesting dynamic there. And I don't know if that's an influence on why those two guys are playing more, but I suspect it might be. I think part of it is, one, of, of his 15 snaps for Tlick Williams, I want to I wish I could go back right now and watch and see how many of them were on third down because there were a lot of situations where on third down, it was the four sophomore defensive linemen out there. But the other point, yes, I think part of it is where's Jack standing at because that decides like who they went out there. Well, it's that, all, it, yeah, well, right. It's whether Jack is the Jack or Jack isn't it. Cause Jack did. Yes. That's right. what I, yeah, that's what I mean when I say where he's standing out there, but then also because there were so little snaps and you're playing a good team, I think Larry just rolled with the guys who were hot and Mike Hall, well, Obviously played really well, and Teron Vincent actually had a pretty solid game as well. So if your starters, if if it's if we're applying the same logic that got applied to the linebacker and safety spots, where those assistant coaches just rolled with those guys because they were playing well and also not tired, 
Maybe Larry just did the same thing at defensive tackle. But I guess part of it would be then the idea that Tyleek Williams wasn't the guy who was hot because Mm -hmm. Tyleek Williams. But again, I we here led by Nathan sort of zeroed in on this this offseason that, yes, Tyleek Williams was a freshman All-American because he got some garbage time snaps and Mike Hall really didn't play at all. But that doesn't mean that Tyleek Williams is ahead of Mike Hall now. And Nathan, like we did get some texts about like, hey, is Nathan doing like a Mike Hall dance? Like that was a thousand percent correct. That is certainly part of what we're seeing here. I don't think that was a one-time thing. I don't think that was a hot hand. I don't think that was a matchup thing. I think Mike Hall is going to be more important and play more for this defense than Tyler Williams. Yeah, it definitely looks like that. And when we went back to when we talked to Larry Johnson in the preseason, he specifically said something along the lines of, we have a plan for Mike Hall. And I think it it's the it's the jack be the best, be the best tackle well, I, yeah. I, i'm talking about usage though like i think yeah. he was talking about the jack setup i don't know how else to describe that the, the setup right. so the, i mean the, what we're talking about is when you have that stand-up defensive end and jack sawyer's moving around you have what looks like a three-man defensive front so you have a guy who's the nose but then mike hall is really shifted out as like a big body end so it's like jt to him on one end one side looks like the end and Mike Hall looks like an end. He's, he's not between like the guard and the center. He's sort of okay. between the guard and the tackle and out there. And then Jack Sawyer. So it might be that the tackle, the offensive tackle is going to wind up blocking Mike Hall there. And then Jack Sawyer is looking for a matchup where you're trying to get Jack Sawyer on a guard or a center or looking for an open gap. So that's what you're or talking about. Really wide. So who, right. Or he's coming out. Mike Hall takes up the tackle. Then Jack Sawyer is unblocked around the outside. So, that does, to what you were saying, that does require sort of a particular skill set that apparently they think Mike Hall, that's the, that's the secret plan, that Mike Hall fits that better than anybody else. He's also their best tackle. Like, Sorry, in addition yeah. to that, he is also the, be- now, the, best, the best player there, uh, probably. Things, uh, I don't disagree with you guys, but also – we get to the Wisconsin game and things could look different as well. Just because well, we're talking you, about interior guys. You will have, yeah, there will be uh, so. different skill sets wanted and needed, but also, I mean, my call is a big dude. I don't think he's going. To, yeah. He's to yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to go from 30 snaps against Notre Dame to playing five against Wisconsin, but it might even itself a little bit more out when you get a team who's going to get 65 plays instead of 49, 48. Well, that is, I'm interested in how they will change schematically for that game because while mm-hmm. they thought, Notre Dame would probably keep the ball on the ground as much as they did. I don't think they were as worried about Notre Dame's backfield as they're going to be about Braylon Allen. So does the Jack fit up against that the best? Does a more standard four-man front fit up against that the best? I'm going to be curious how they do that. But I want to say with the PFF, so we looked at PFF snap numbers. Did you see who had the best defensive rating on the whole defense for this game? But also Tyleek Williams, but also – in half the number of snaps. Correct. So, which Correct. is like goes back to what we talked about. Well, sometimes when you don't play as much and you're fresher, it's easy to have a higher PFF grade. It doesn't mean that they're going to make you a starter and that if and when you are a starter, you're going to have the same PFF grade. So, right. which is what got back to the original question, which is how did he play? But it, we needed to talk about this snap stuff. And while we're here, let's do the ends too. Can we just say real quick, what we saw in that game, I don't know was a departure from what, the way they were talking about Tyreek Williams. 
No, it was he was competitive being stamina about, and stuff. Yeah, he was being talked about as a guy who wasn't a complete player yet. So complete players don't play as many snaps. Agree. Ends. JT Tumaloa, 33 snaps. Low grade. I, I don't know. 33 yeah, bad, snaps. Bad Jack Sawyer, 26. Zach Harrison, 18. Javante Jean-Baptiste, 16. Tyler Friday, 7. So those are the five ends. JT played twice as much, basically, as Zach Harrison. And Zach Harrison was closer in snaps to Javante Jean-Baptiste than he was to Jack Sawyer. Uh, Steven, what do we make of that? Again, Zach Harrison started with JT, which we thought. He's third among ends and snaps, which we're not shocked by. Maybe I thought Harrison would be a little closer to Jack and JT, but we also are not surprised by the idea, by the idea that like JT definitely leads the way here. What's your overall impression? I think Zach started that game because Knowles didn't want to throw the Jack out there in the first snap. And well, but Jack, Jack Sawyer was not a stand-up Russian every time. He was like almost like one series. So no, but like the, his first snap on the field, he was a Jack. And then like they moved him and did some other stuff with him. Yes. They didn't have, he wasn't a Jack all 26 snaps. He was out there. Correct. No, no, correct. But like, I, th- I, think, I think I think Zach Harrison started because he's a seed. That's pro- yeah, that was going to be my other point. But yes, that's part of it. But it doesn't shock me that JT and Jack led the way with this. And I think that's going to be what it is all season. Now, with that being said, as we were talking about with the end with the defensive tackles and like how they're you know maybe manipulating some stuff because Jack's standing up sometimes. There was a rushman package where Zach Harrison was a defensive tackle. So that's something right. to think about as well as we continue through this season. But but also not a surprise. I mean, Nick Bose has been. A, I mean, I, it's just your inside yeah. in the. If you're in the Rushman ta- package and you have the three ends, and somebody's got to be inside, and yeah. you're you're not going to put Jack inside. So it's got to be Zach or JT. And if like JT is like your guy at end, then I, I would expect that Zach would be the guy there. Um, again, Nathan, like kind of not a shock, but some confirmation on maybe how we thought it would go. Yeah. And I'm curious with that two and a score. Like if you have just kind of an okay game and then you also have a 15 yard penalty for a, a high hit on yeah, the quarterback, I just, like how much mm-hmm. does that crater? Um, score? Yeah. It's just it's, not worth much of a conversation off of, off of one. Just, we yeah, don't understand it's it. Weird. The snap, um, the snap counts are super valuable for PFF. Long-term comparisons can be helpful. Like a one game grade is like, I don't know. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's do Bronny James. And we're doing Bronny James not because we're trying to throw a huge basketball discussion into the midst of Buckeye talk when we're talking about football, but because this is not really about basketball. Like it kind of is, but it's kind of not. So I have three Bronny James questions. I'll run through them all and then we'll talk about it. The son of LeBron James. He's a top 50 national recruit in basketball. Who? He was at the game on Saturday. LeBron was with him. Ohio State is supposedly in the mix. From the 614. Is Bronny James really a player we want at Ohio State? He's ranked as a top 50 player, but is he really? He seems like a quality player, but doesn't do anything extremely well. Also, LeBron has said many times he wants to play with Bronny in the NBA, suggesting Bronny would be a one-and-done player. At this point, no way is he of that caliber, and I worry about the distraction of his dad and the circus that it brings. More Bronny James from the 513. Finish the sentence. Bronny James would be the highest profile student athlete on campus since blank. And then we'll do one more 
from the 419, would getting Bronny impact football recruiting? You would think that it would lead to LeBron being on campus more and give him an even stronger tie to Ohio State. Stephen, you can answer any and all of those. I have a particular answer about the high-profile athlete, but what do you think about the idea of Bronny James being an Ohio State basketball player? I mean, it would significantly raise the profile of the Ohio State basketball team and the interest in general, at least for that year he is here. As far as is he good or not, I think one thing you see a lot with the sons of famous and really good athletes is they're either underrated or overrated vastly because you have that in the back of your head. I think he's one of the few where it's kind of on point. He's really, he's good. He, he should be a top 50 recruit, but I don't think he should be a five star or anything like that. I think he's a quality basketball player who, whether he's an NBA player or not, I don't know. That's, that's hard to tell right now just because, his last name is James, and so some things are kind of thrown up there. But he is a quality play- basketball player. He would be a quality add to a class who just lost a combo guard in George Washington who decommitted literally 24 hours after being at the Ohio State-Notre Dame game. But, yes, he is a quality add for them if they get him. That's a big Al- if right now. Along those lines, do we read anything into the George Washington the third decommitment that it is in any way tied to Bronny James? It's not directly applied to Bronny James, but they are actively recruiting another guard. Okay. Nathan, what do you think of this idea? And what do you think? Do you think it could have some impact on football if LeBron James's kid is on campus and part of the the athletic department? I I think that association is probably only good things for Ohio State or overwhelmingly good things for Ohio State. I remember um, when I was still covering basketball um, on the AAU circuit and going to an event in Westfield, Indiana. And normally at this thing, it's just elbow to elbow. You're bumping into parents and kids and coaches. And it's just um, and I never had an easier time walking around there than when Bronny James's team was like playing over in the corner because the whole place just in mass goes over there and fixates on that court because they want to get a glimpse of yeah. LeBron because he's there. And I you know I imagine that as you Stephen and some of these other our other um, recruiting guys are calling around to some of these guys like it's it's pretty cool to see LeBron James like he's he's a different level of um, sports persona I know he's a, probably a controversial sports persona to some people but in the long run it's it's something that like it's going to be something that appeals to kids to have that associated with Ohio State more than he already is as just sort of this like fan from a distance. Brian Hardline made it a point that every wide receiver recruit went over there and met LeBron James before the game. So, like you get to say, like, yeah. it's not that you're saying that he is Ohio state necessarily. You're just saying that Ohio state is connected to him. Like he, we are the kind of place that LeBron James wants to be at for whatever reason. And hope they already you. have. Right. Because he's, he already he's, comes to games and he's had like a locker in the basketball facility. Like they have the team. played yep. up. The LeBron mm-hmm. connection already. So I have very, I have three very specific opinions on this. One is it'd be great for football. It'd be great for football. He'd be at more games because football is just the glow. You yep. just get in the glow of LeBron. Exactly what you guys are talking about. Hey, Brian Hartline's got some guys. You want to come over and meet LeBron? Who doesn't want to mm-hmm. meet LeBron? Everybody wants to meet LeBron. All good for football. I think it's bad for the basketball team. I have real questions about whether this basketball team could handle it. And whether Chris Holtman could handle it because I don't, I mean, for real, who doesn't think that 
You think Chris Holtman can handle LeBron James calling him and saying that Bronny's not playing enough? You think Chris Holtman, Chris Holtman can barely handle me. I don't think that it would be good for them. And like, it's a real discussion. Like it is, I, I think it could blow up the basketball program because, and I don't know if he's good at, I don't think he's a win you a national championship kind of player. And I'm also not sure LeBron's going to be a, I'm good with my kid playing 13 minutes a game kind of dad. And I, Chris Holtman, I is not a high-profile guy. He's not a national figure. And yes, it's going to raise the profile of the basketball team in a good way. What would be good about it? So I want to I want to jump in because I know Stephen's going to have a, a, a more a, a better perspective on this. But I just want to say this is what I was saying with the football program, where because you're right, it's just the glow. There's like really not a lot of downside. But in basketball, it's not an overwhelming equation like that. It definitely is. Is There is good and bad, though. And I, I hear what you're saying about the bad, but I believe that there's good, too. The exposure you would have in, in the NIL world, like how much of that can spread off to other guys on this roster. Like there's it. It is. a. I understand that you're seeing the downside, but it's not like there is an upside, too, regardless of how well he plays. I'll touch on both of those things. I'll touch on Ducks first. One, the conversation of if. I'm putting out in quotations. If Bronny came here, how would that be handled from a media perspective? And there was a joke thrown around the idea that he would have his own handler and Rich Paul would just send him his own handler, which, yeah, LeBron James, is, LeBron has his own handler. You think you think his son's not going to have his own handler? But that, converse, that kind of idea has already been thrown out there. As far as the basketball perspective, we can only go off of what Bron has said pub- publicly, but the way he's talked publicly about how his son's high school career has been handled doesn't make it seem like he's one of those overbearing parents because Bronny wasn't a starter his first two years at Sierra Canyon. So like, I'm not going to like, well, but that's, I mean, it's a whole different situation, but still he doesn't seem like one of those overbearing parents to be, you know, calling Chris Holtman on a Tuesday because Bronny only played nine minutes. So yes, there is some Chris Holtman's not a superstar head coach. And this is something he has clearly never dealt with before. And it would have to be handled a lot differently. And there are going to be some times where it's going to be a headache for everybody. If he comes here, the other side of that, yes, Nathan, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Bronny being here is good for everybody because he is famous enough to make, he'd make Justin Orange famous just because he's Bronny James's teammate. Is that good for Ohio state basketball? That's the thing. Like, what hey, does Justin basketball I'm... have to lose right now? Yeah, is is the bit? I think if the downside is he leaves and you're right back where you're at right now, then okay, you didn't lose anything. But if he comes here, you at least make the most of that situation. And a five star looks at that and goes, "Oh, you had LeBron James with here, and you handled that. Maybe that gets you the next superstar." <laughs> okay, that is some optimism. That is some optimism. I don't think they can handle it. I don't think they can handle it. The downside is LeBron's like, man, I don't know. Ohio State sure didn't treat my son right. And I'm not saying he's being an overbearing parent. Like, that's the downside. Like, they can't handle it. But the upside is he comes out of that thinking that, like, Chris Holtman did everything possible for his son and maximized his ability. So it it goes both ways. There's no, like, middle ground here. It's going to be extremely good or extremely bad for the basketball program. And what I'm saying is, isn't it? why isn't it worth the dice roll at this point in Ohio state basketball history? Cause Holman you, you, thinks they're about to win. 
because he thinks they're about to win with this freshman recruiting class and they're about they're about ready to go. So I, I I do not think they are prepared for this because I do think my answer to be he to he would be the most high profile athlete on campus. I would say because it's hard because it's really about the profile coming in, right? Like Zeke after they won the national title and then he's back, right? He's pretty famous. Um, but I think it would be more than that. Probably Terrell Pryor at the very least, I would say. I was going to say that. Pryor yeah. coming in. And I think perhaps even more than that, I think you maybe could make an argument like Chris Spielman, who had a Wheaties box in high school. I think it might go back to that, to the mid 80s. And I'm, I think maybe you could make an argument like, and I don't know what it was like, but back to Archie when he's the reigning Heisman winner. Like that's, it's rare company here. This is not like, hey, Braxton Miller was a famous high school player. That's not what we're talking about here. I was going to say, I thought maybe Greg Oden, but I wasn't here. So I don't remember how huge he was, but he was a pretty huge high school player, literally, but also in popularity before he got here. That's a good one. I mean, it was weird. He was hurt at the beginning of his career. He was a super huge deal, but it was at a time when the basketball, like he didn't have an international, right. Are we allowed to say, Quinn Ewers? No, it doesn't apply. I mean, like, because Quinn Ewers like was, was here, got a kombucha deal, and then vanished. So, like, people were excited for like a week about Quinn Ewers. I I was gonna say, um, the more I thought about it, though, because I did this story on Rob Har- Harley that I hope people read on Monday, and from talking to him last week, he's a guy that knows the Chick Harley stuff. His great great uncle like knows it because he learned it through his family and was a huge college football. Anyway, I mean, he. The thing that I think stands out to him more about Chick Harley that like blows his mind is not the football exploits necessarily. It was how much of a like international celebrity he became almost just being this football player at Ohio State when football wasn't even like the most popular thing in the world. But like like New York newspapers are doing stories about how Chick Harley is coming home in college or going to the Hamptons in college on vacation and stuff. And like think of like the most famous athletes that Ohio State's had on its football team that hasn't really transcended to that level. So this might be the first, you could maybe even go all the way back to Chick Harley to have someone because it crosses, it's not just sports. It's not just something that would be yeah. on sports center. It would be crossing into just general celebrity status. Like and if, also if Bronny's on the banana boat in Buckeye Lake, right. That would be on the yeah. cover of us weekly. And there's almost like an immediate pick. Cause even with like Chick Harley, and, and and Spielman and all those guys, like it was a build up to it because it's, was Spielman a starter from day one? I think so, but I'm not going to pretend I know for sure. I think I so. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> but you usually with football, it's like this big build up during the recruiting stage and when they're in high school. And then like you typically have to wait a little bit to see the big boom and payoff because basketball just works so differently. We're going to see all of it at its biggest and highest point at the same time. And also Chick Harley came before video. So now that's one reason why he doesn't maybe have quite the same legacy throughout all of college football, mm-hmm. the way someone like Red Grange does, who came right after him. But but that also changes like the, the instant celebrity world that we live in now and social media and all that stuff. Like it, it might this might be the one that sets a new precedent. You know who sounds really ready to handle that? A coach who has never been to the Sweet 16. Good luck. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> well, this is, isn't that like one of the, it's like one of the great conundrums. It's like your coach who's never been to the sweet 16. Can you handle the kind of player who would get you to the sweet 16? 
He's not the kind of player that can get you to the Sweet 16. He's the kind of player that gets you on the cover of Us Weekly. There's a million players who can get you to the Sweet 16. That's the whole thing. It's not worth like it's. He's not it's the number one player in the. Right. He's not the number one player in the country. I don't if think you need Zion, the number one player in the country to get to the Sweet 16. But you can get a player as good as him without all the other stuff. They do. They have players as good as him in this class right now. And that, so that's the crux here. You can get a player yeah. like him without all the other stuff, yes. or you can get a player like him, but it doesn't come with all this other stuff that can also be positive for the program. Okay. I think Let's... both of you are right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the best case scenario, but the other thing, I, and, and this is fair, if LeBron's kid was out and about and wasn't thinking about Ohio State, if he was at the Michigan game, if he was going to Duke and Kansas and UCLA and USC and Oregon and didn't even give a second thought to Ohio State, then I'd be like, well, how come Chris Holtman can't even get Bronny James on campus? Yeah. Right. So yeah. I do think it's important to be in the mix. And by the mm-hmm. way, I'm sure they're very glad that Bronny doesn't live in Ohio because then it's like, well, if he's in Ohio, then you got to get him. He lives in California. His dad, you know who Bronny James is? He's Donovan Jackson. He's Garrett Wilson. He's every kid who comes to Ohio State whose parents used to live in Ohio and move somewhere warm. You don't have for to a get job. Him for a job. Oh, did your dad used to work in Ohio? Yeah, yeah. He got transferred to Miami for a while, and he got transferred back to Ohio. Then he got transferred to LA. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. So, but you don't have to get him. You probably need to be involved. So I think this is the sweet spot. This is I like the sweet they're, spot. They're in the sweet spot. And then Bronny puts out a top three. That's USC, Oregon, and Duke. And everybody goes about their business. Well, even what if it was USC, Oregon, and Ohio State are the three hats on the final table on ESPN, but he picks one of the other two. Like, and then you're Chris still getting as much exposure that gets all the way there. Yeah. But Chris Holtman's watching it be like, don't pick us, don't pick us, don't pick us. Um and, and that's not that that is not against Bronny or LeBron. That's against what I interpret as my my view of the Ohio State basketball program right now and its ability to handle um, all this stuff. And frankly, like any program, any program that is not the bluest of the blue bloods, Ohio State basketball is not one of the bluest of the blue bloods. So if this was football, go. But it's not. Quick break. When we come back, more rapid fire on Buckeye Talk. All right, let's do this about the game. 304 from the 304. Ohio State has a lot of terrific game day traditions. What is your favorite that the team, university fans, or community do? And then we'll tie it into this from the 419. I feel like I've never done it right before an Ohio State game in Columbus. What are three must-do things before a game besides skull session? It will be my fiance's first game. So I do think to me the, the issue the thing with Ohio state is that there are so many things that there is not as great as the skull session is as great as the band is before the game, as cool as the walk is as cool as like all the tailgating is it's that it's all of it. And that you have a full comprehensive experience. You almost, you could come down and hang out and feel like you're kind of at a carnival and like not even watch the game, which a lot of people do. Right. You stay in the parking lot, watch on TV, but you feel all of that when game day is here. There's always stuff happening in front of St. John. So I think, Nathan, like that is what to me is the greatest appeal of an Ohio State visit. 
I've tried over time, like to get myself out there and soak in stuff, right? Because I mean, you think you have to, you have to appreciate that kind of thing. But what, when you think about sort of like what it is about an Ohio State game other than the football, what do you think about Nathan? Yeah, it's sort of just the ex- expanse of it. And, you know, we see, I think around the stadium, it's almost just a, a limited part of it. Um, if I, cause I'd almost don't even know what the other thing to tell you to do. If, if you're not, if you're taking skull session off the list and I assume skull session to me, skull session and the walk are inextricably linked. Yeah. I, well, I, can't t- I do think a lot of people just go to skull session and listen to the band the whole time. Then the team walks. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. But, and then, and it actually, if you're outside waiting for the walk, you can't be at skull session. So I suppose they, there is yeah. some separation there. So I would, I would, but if you're doing, if you're doing one, you almost can't do the other. Um, to me, though, I think it's more just the energy in general outside. And I guess my advice is just, you know, find hopefully, you know, some of the people that are tailgating or doing something outside that are, uh, place and just get in with the energy. Let the energy kind of lift you up and get that day started. Stephen, what do you think? I have two, mainly because Nathan stole my first one. Like I would say try to get a tailgating spot. And just especially if it's a night game and just be there all day, you would be amazed how much fun you can have and how many just random people you'll meet and end up being friends with them for the rest of the day and completely forget who they are 48 hours later. But you just it's just that memory you can have. But then also, if you've got young kids. Football is hard because you don't they're wearing helmets all the time, so you never get to see their faces. If you've got young kids, get inside Ohio Stadium early enough to see the players going through warm ups. Even if you can't interact with them, because most of the time you can't, but just seeing your favorite player, it's like, hey, that's CJ Stroud. Hey, that's Jackson Smith the Jigba. Hey, that's JT Tuimaloa. Just seeing these players that you root for before they get up in all this gear, you know, and then and then they just become helmets and pads. So here would be my pregame. I, I do think one of my favorite things is Buckeye Grove that they plant trees for these guys, mm-hmm. and that it there are guys from a hundred years ago that they have a tree there. They have a living thing. Go to Buckeye Grove. It's on the one corner of the stadium. I'm terrible with directions, but go find it. You'll be able to find it. Ask somebody where Buckeye Grove is. Go to Buckeye Grove. Then get over to the Blackwell Inn. About two and a half hours before kickoff, I think, is when the players start to come down the ramp. All their families, a lot of their families are out there. The families are wearing the jerseys of their sons on their back. And the players come out of the hotel and they stand up on this little patio in their suits. And then they come down these steps. And when they come down the steps, it feels like it's go time. Let's go. And also you can see all the pride of these parents and siblings and aunts and uncles and grandparents and friends and coaches who are there, like wearing their, the, the names on the back of like, this is, this is my guy. And here he comes. So then do that and walk with them, run with them, right? You got to run with them while they're walking, see them come down the steps then get out in front of them and get into to St. John arena for the skull session. So you got to get in, you got to scoot, you got to get to a spot, watch the speeches when Ryan Day and a couple of players, you know, usually one coach, a couple, two players will talk, listen to that. Then you can hang out at Skull Session for a little bit if you want to, right? Catch maybe the end, they do a little more stuff with the band. So you get some Skull Session vibe. But I think the walk is so good. If you're nimble and you can move, I sprained my ankle one time covering LeBron James, like walking in in the walk into skull session, I stepped in a hole. I had to wear an ankle brace for like six weeks. So be careful. There are gopher holes out there, but I would, 
I would give up the full skull session if you can get the walk and then get a piece of skull session. But then you are missing the walk from St. John Arena to the stadium, which is a little bit more of the same. It's a wider path. There's a lot of people there. Try to get one of the walks. Then, as Steven said, get in. I think gates open two hours before. Get in. Mm -hmm. And you have to get down to the rail. If you're in C deck, if you're in B deck, you'll, they will let you down. So when you come in on the first main concourse, just head down in, right into the stadium and then get down to the rail as close to the field as you can get. So you can be within 10 or 15 feet of the Buckeyes and you can see their eyes and you can see how they're interacting with each other. And maybe you can yell their name and say, hey, go Bucks." And maybe somebody, I don't know if they'll wave, they have headphones on. No, they will. But, a lot of them will interact with you on the way in and out so, of the tunnel. So be ch- like, just get down there, right? Get down there so you can feel it because you might be up high once the game starts, right? But get to the rail during warmups so you can feel connected to it and take pictures. Hey, I'm at, here I am at Ohio Stadium. Look how close I am to the field. Don't go to your seat way up high in C-deck and not try to do that. Because you can, right? You always can scoot down. Now you're not going to be able to sit there, but you can scoot down there early. So that's uh, Buckeye Grove is important, I think. The walk is important and get down close and get some photos. So that would be my advice. And then make sure you see the band pregame at halftime. And so that's a full day, man. That's a lot of stuff. It's a great day. Like it makes it worth the money. Tickets are super expensive. For these lousy games, Arkansas State and Toledo, you can probably get in for pretty cheap. We always say go to the spring game. The spring game doesn't have all that stuff. I mean, it has Buckeye Grove, but it doesn't have Skull Session and all that. So this is go now. If you can get your hands on cheap tickets for Arkansas State or Toledo, there's a lousy Rutgers game coming up. There's eight home games this year. That's a crazy number of home games. Four good, four bad. There's three bad ones coming up. There's a Wisconsin good one in between. Get to one of those games for cheap, but do it all. Do it all, because it's a lot more than watching Ohio State versus Rutgers. That's important. Nathan, this is a football question. For the 214, what, if anything, should we be looking for against Arkansas State? It's clearly an overmatched team, and Ohio State should win fairly easily, but are there things I should really try to focus on? Backup receivers, Marvin Harrison Jr.'s butterfingers. That's kind of that's that's a little harsh. Second string offensive line. Or should I just chill and watch a 30-point win? Nathan, what advice? You know, I think there probably are, especially in the first half of this game, there are gonna be some things that Ohio State is trying to clean up from that first game. And a lot of it is the receiver connection. We don't know if Jackson Smith the Jigba is going to play. Um, I would say right now I sort of doubt it. I don't know what the upside is of playing him in this game, if there's any doubt at all. So that would, you know, and it's an opportunity for C.J. Stroud to, you know, solidify the connection he has with, with some of these other receivers. Try to get that connection going with Marvin Harrison Jr. that did seem off. Like as much as Marvin Harrison Jr. didn't make that catch we're talking about, there's also another throw to the sideline that CJ Stroud, like I don't know how you miss Marvin Harrison high and wide because he's like the tallest guy out there, but he missed him high and wide by a mile. Like there's, so some of that was was off. And I think there's, that's something they're probably working on next week. And you get to see what sort of progress they made in the in the course of one week. I think also on defense, um, as we talked about in the, the Monday pod, Doug, like there were some explosive plays for Notre Dame in that game, especially through the passing game. And I think that's something that they will probably try to clean up Arkansas state, like all of their offensive skill guys 
whether that's uh, the quarterback, James Blackman, or both of the running backs or their top receiver, like they're all power five transfers. These are all guys who came from Florida State and Iowa State and other places like that, Tennessee. So like they've got some talent out there, um, some you know big 10, like lower big 10 level talent. So does Ohio State find a way to clean up some of those issues too? maybe let, allow just some of those bigger plays and and have a, a, even a more dominant effort i do think keep your i mean brian sneed 2018 ohio state recruit as we've talked about as nathan has written about will be on the field for arkansas state and i do think second team offensive line is a thing watch left tackle if it's zen mahalski we think probably when the second team offensive line is in nathan's written about him is zen mahalski their left tackle next year is josh fryer their right tackle next year i don't know i'd watch that second team offensive line see who looks good see who looks competent probably Jacob James at center, Enoch Vamahi at right guard, right? I mean, this is, it's not for now, but they need tackles. <laughs> Steven, they need tackles next yeah. year. And some of those guys are going to be playing in the next next month. Yeah. Yeah. The next two weeks are going to be interesting to watch a lot of second team. I want to see Colin McCord and Devin Brown mm. because they're going to play a lot in the next two weeks because you don't need CJ Stroud to beat Arkansas state and Toledo. So I want to, one, I want to see, is Devin Brown does it look like he's coming, even if it's not there yet because he's a true freshman. But then I also just want to see what Kyle McCord looks like in year two in this program from behind the scenes because a quarterback battle is coming and we're six months away from it. But then also just on defense, kind of the same thing here. Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson, mm. um, Cameron Brown, who held up and played really well against uh, uh, Notre Dame, even when then sometimes where he ended up on Michael Mayer and then Denzel Burke was, he was okay. I think he gave up some stuff, but they played every snap in that game. I doubt they play every snap in this game. There might be a little bit of a rotation just to get those other guys experience, but I want to see those two. All right, let's do Paris Johnson from the six one four. How did Paris Johnson do in his first game at left tackle PFF played every snap. Uh, they, the whole offensive no, Matthew, I guess Matthew Jones did play every. They have him for every snap. No, That's he didn't. Right. Though Enoch played like three snaps in that game. Ryan Day said he didn't play every snap. Yeah, I guess we should listen to Ryan Day on that. Not the uh, not the PFF stuff. So Paris grade is a sixty-one, which isn't a great grade. Again, take it with a grain of salt. Stephen, what did you think of Paris? I thought the combination of him and Donovan Jackson was excellent. And the thing I'm I'm going to pay more attention to is his pass blocking grade because that's what we're. Hey, can you keep CJ? Str- Stroud clean and that one sack that wasn't on him. I think Notre Dame blitzed on that one and they just got to him. 74.7 yep. was his pass blocking grade, which I think is quality for a first start going against a guy who was a first rounder in Isaiah Foskey, who he and Donovan Jackson made kind of irrelevant all night. So, yep. and there's like some clips of like Donovan Jackson and Paris Johnson in tandem blocking Fowski where they're just punishing him all night. So I, I thought it was a, if there was any questions of, eh, are we sure that's probably gone for me. Were there any questions about Paris? No, no questions. Just, you know, you're only, if you're 99.9% sure, just because you haven't seen it yet, that last point zero point one got filled today on Saturday. Yeah. I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it was a question about Paris being a, good left tackle i think it was just a question of how good will he be on day one against a yeah. guy that you know ryan day is describing as a legitimate first round edge rusher and yeah. i i thought the result i mean i think foskey had one pressure yeah no i think that's right and they got they got to cj like on the first series right like the sack he took was like yeah, right away and then was, that was it 
but that was they they blitzed two guys and yeah. and one got through they just got numbers that wasn't really a, an edge situation that was coming right. up the middle yeah. and there were a couple other times where notre dame i thought was pretty smart they were showing blitz a lot and still dropping eight guys but yeah. there were a couple times where they would blitz both those linebackers through the same gap and that's a tough assignment we saw indiana do that to ohio state a couple of years ago and now that's on um, CJ to recognize some of those things and know quickly where he has to go with it. And that's a, one of those things. Like he talked about the connection that they had with Xavier Johnson on the, where they brought the zero blitz and how it was, he recognized it, but so did Xavier Johnson. They talked about it in week before leading into the game and that connection happened. And that's just something that's going to have to become more stitched together as the season goes along is that connection with some of these younger guys. Blitz isn't just as much about center play as it is quarterback play. And, you know, Luke Whipple picking that up as well. From the 937, take the drop touchdown pass by Marv, a pass he is expected to catch, a missed makeable field goal by Ruggles, and add them to Saturday's score. How does the narrative change with a 31-10 win against Notre Dame? So I wanted to ask this question because I almost want to see, like, what you guys think think of questions like this because you can also say take away Mayan Williams fingertip catch on the sideline on third and three and Mm -hmm. Ohio State's punting from its own 24 yard line up only four in the middle of the fourth quarter and what do we think now so the game is the game Nathan but I also like what ifs in the right circumstance what do you make of a question like this I get that with those 10 points they covered the spread but again that catch wasn't a gimme and the the field goal the drive that led to that field goal was is part of why people were a little bit critical of this offense after the first game because they got down there and then just sputtered out and last year, like red zone possessions and, and near red zone possessions were an issue and settling for too many field goals. So I think that regardless of whether he makes the field goal or not, that was sort of a little bit of evidence of something that people were hoping that maybe Ohio State had had a better answer for. And I think they will. I think they can have a better answer for that in time. They were playing a pretty solid defense week one. Yeah, I think the Harrison catch, it's not a gimme, but elite receiver makes that catch. And that's what we're striving. They're striving for here. So. I, I get sure. why there's some 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 pushback on why didn't Marvin Harrison make the catch? The Noah Ruggles field goal is a disappointment because this is a dude who didn't miss a kick until he missed one when it really didn't matter at that point. And so you got to make kicks from that distance. So fine, if you want to say maybe it should have been 24 to 10, I'll get that one because that's not really excusable. As we just talked about last week, we kind of thought that the whole point of having three scholarship kickers on your roster was so that you didn't miss 39-yard field goals. Who is asking Day for you For you guys? We get Day on Thursdays for like 10 minutes. He does his radio show, and then when they make one of the assistants come in and finish the radio show, then we get Ryan Day for like 10 minutes with like a – it's like they call it like a, a Zoom whatever, around the horn kind of thing. It's just like, it's like, a, like a news update. Who is going to – do the Ryan, do you think if Noah Ruggles would have been here for spring football, he wouldn't have missed that field question? Because <laughs> I'll tell you what, you cannot be here for spring football if you make your kicks. And I'm 40% not joking. Like you're a boy, you're an all American, you get a tree. 
you're not here for spring football and you miss a field goal <laughs> against the t- in a top five game in prime time. First kick. Listen, guys miss field goals. North Carolina State should have lost East Carolina. The East Carolina kicker missed the extra point and they missed a 40 yard field goal. It's in East Carolina. Doesn't mean you have to make every field goal, but they could have used that has, field goal. They could have used that. State has three scholarship kickers. Only one of them plays, and he didn't do his job. So it's, so, you know, yeah. we're not calling people out, but also one, noting one the timeline thing, of events, the timeline of events. Just because you brought up the punt, any thought in anybody's back of the head that that was a vote of confidence in the defense? Because last year, they're definitely not punting in that situation. Well, Ryan Day talked about that and said it was the style of game, right? That it's limited mm-hmm. possessions, that kind of thing, that it was it was the style of game. And, and the defense playing well certainly contributed to that style. He even said, I would have gone for that last year. Yeah. Right. So I think there are many factors there. But yes, I think it is confidence in the defense. I think it's it's a low scoring game and every every play, every possession matters. We can't get loose with taking a shot here and missing it. And by the way, and we know like they, the first three and third and two, they tried, they didn't get. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like super confidence in the short yardage at that point, possibly. All right. Uh, Steven, this texter, I understand a little bit of the frustration from the 616. You know what? I should just read the whole yep. phone number because uh, this person has not gotten the attention. I'm not being facetious at all. We love the texters. We have a lot of texters. It's hard to service everybody sometimes. Like there's just sometimes you send in witty questions and really insightful analysis and we read it and we just can't get to it on a pod or Nathan does a Hey Nathan Q&A each week or sometimes we respond to you directly, but sometimes we can't. And so I hope like being, we're not trying to trick you into being a texter and then be like, ignore you. Right. We don't get the, we don't get to respond to everybody, but I hope like the information we give you, we hope is valuable. We hope we give you fun stuff too. And then you get to express it back to us and we see it. We just don't always have the time to respond, but this texter from the 616, how does Steven feel about his Marvin Harrison touchdown prediction right now? Another question. Am I just really boring or do my rants questions suck because they never get picked? Also, do you guys recognize certain texters? Do you hold grudges over ones who have yelled at you before? Do you have favorites? So some people sign their names at the bottom of texts. And then we know you. We know Josh Mustachio. We know Greg C74, right? We know Evan in Oregon. Because every time they send us a text, they put their name at the bottom. We know Joseph in Atlanta, right? So if you want us to know you, sign every text. Again and again and again and again, and then that'll click in. We don't remember the 616, the 614, the 330, the 216. We that we don't remember. But there's no grudges. You pay to yell at us. Fine, yell at us. That's great. With no grudges, no grudges. But I wanted to acknowledge if you're new to the text, like we don't, we're not trying to promise something that it's not. We do not respond directly to every text that we get. We wouldn't even have there's not. We wouldn't be able to sleep. We'd spend 24 hours. We wouldn't be able to write or pot or do anything else. But we hope there's value anyway. If you're ever confused about what is this text thing they're talking about? It feels like a text when it shows up in your phone from us. Our thing shows up like a text, just like it does from your friend. And then you can reply just like you can to your friend. But you know how sometimes your friend doesn't text back right away? That's also us. So we're sorry for that. And we're not making light of it. You are paying money. But we see it. see it. The reply that you send to us does not come to our phones the same way. It's right. 
That's it what goes, people maybe need to understand. It goes into our system. All of this, we don't do it on our, we can do it on our phone, but it's like on an app, right? We do it through a system. We aren't doing it through our phone. So anyway, the reason, but this 616 question, Stephen, is interesting because I want to talk about one of my predictions as well. How are you feeling about Marv and the 17 touchdowns? He, he did leave one on the table for you. Yeah, well, first and foremost, um, just a shout out to some other people just because they leave their name. Luke from Denver and Khaled, they yep. rock with us. Khaled, so yep. Yeah, I just wanted to shout out some other people as well just to feel left out. I feel great about it. And you want to know why I feel great about it? Because Jackson Smith, the Jigba broke all any records you could think of last year. And against Minnesota, he had two catches for 12 yards. As a matter of fact, last year, Jackson didn't really start getting busy like that until the Nebraska game. He had one other 100-yard game before that, and it was against Oregon when they – threw the ball 54 times. So it's, I'm not going to start panicking because Marvin missed a touchdown catch in his first official start. Cause I'm like Rose bowl was what it was, but his first real start in college football, because also if Jackson Smith, the Jigba doesn't play against Arkansas, he could have three touchdown pass catches in that game. So I feel great. Yeah. If, if Jackson doesn't play the next week or two, that opens up stuff for Marv a little bit. I am sad about my 2000 yards. That we don't yeah. we don't even he had three yards in the opener and he might not play it's over like even if he was playing this week it's already over I did not factor in a three yard game into my prediction a three yard game caused by injury let so, alone a three yard catch forget a game just like any of his catches only being three yards yeah well he had he had like one catch for four yards and then yeah. he had another catch and now all of a sudden he had two catches for three yards yep. so he got one more catch and it went for <laughs> negative yardage so it was like you're not helping me. On the path to 2000, that negative one didn't help. So I can't be more disappointed than Jackson Smith and Jigba is disappointed. But I, we spent a lot of time. This was my thing. I was all excited about it. Second in the Heisman, right? It's over. Now, I guess if he goes crazy late in the year, the Heisman thing may not be dead. But like the statistical part of it, Nathan, it requires a fully healthy Jackson Smith and Jigba. And we already don't have that. So the dream is dead. Sorry for wasting everybody's time talking about it. Well, it was worth talking about. You, like you said, you can't really envision it happening this way. It's not like we there was no injury risk going into that game or injury thought going into that game. It's just something that happens in the, the game of football. As far as the Marvin Harrison thing, I also think it's it would be more concerning if they weren't targeting him in the red zone or in, in the end zone, like giving yeah. him shots at scoring touchdowns. But he had that chance. And yeah, like I said, the other one that was uh, at least he was targeted down the sideline deep and it just was a, a wild throw. So um, I think the, I think the touchdowns are going to come. I still think seventeen might be a little high, but I think the touchdowns are going to come. Go hard or go home. No, no, and that's just it's it's fine. I mean, my my least favorite thing about Stephen predictions is that if Marvin gets to the end of the year and he has like eleven, Stephen will still say I'm right. I'm still right because I'm always right even when I'm wrong, which is I don't understand the thinking. Like <laughs> I just said, my two thousand yard thing was wrong, and it's. It's not going to okay, be right. Fine. And I I'll, I'll, I'll so. give you this. If we get to the bye week, because I've played six games and it doesn't feel like it's even like manageable, I will come on this pod and say, okay. I am going to be wrong. Okay. And then watch, I'm going to come out here and say that. And then he's going to go crazy the second half of the year and end up being right. But at least you didn't have to say it like after the first week, which I had to do. So yeah. I was much wronger. Uh, quick one from the 614, Doug, with a daughter graduating, any nuggets of wisdom or reflections you want to share for parents of younger children, something you wish someone had told you. So uh, just as a heads up, the reason I'm doing this is I am actually not going to be at the game on Saturday because we are taking my daughter to college. So if it was Notre Dame in week two, I would figure it out and I'd be there. 
and we I do what I needed to do. But it's Arkansas State. It's her freshman year. She starts later than everybody else. And so I'm just going to not be here. And Nathan and Steven will be holding it down. Um, I had not missed a game since 2005. I had not missed a game until the pandemic. And then once my streak was broken, it was kind of like, ah, who cares anymore? I'm just going to start missing games willy-nilly. So you won't hear me or read me on Saturday. Um, my quick advice is, this is officially my new lo- motto for our family now is having fun is hard work. So sometimes when you're a parent and you're busy and you are tired or you don't really have time and your kid wants to do something, you think, ah, I don't really have time to do that. Now your kid wants to go, go for a bike ride or, you know, make a craft or play catch or go to the park. Having fun is hard work. Like you work hard at work, work hard at, with your kids, make time for that. If you, anytime you think to yourself, and eh, I'm on the fence about doing that activity with my kid every single time, do it. You will not regret it. You will not regret it. Don't look back and say, oh, I wish I would have done that. Because we're all on the fence sometimes. Sometimes you, when you're on the fence, you say, no, nope, I'm not going to do it. Don't do that if it's time with your kids. Squeeze it in, man. You will not regret it. And the other thing is, like, make sure your kids know you. I overload my children with stories. Because sometimes I wish, like my dad, I was talking about my dad at the beginning. My dad passed away a couple of years ago. Like, sometimes I wish I knew more about, like, when he was a kid and when he would do this. Sometimes you feel like a crazy old person hammering your kid with stories when you get it, like your kid, I think doesn't appreciate it at the moment, but they want to know what you were like. Right. So share with them and make yourself do the stuff. Even when you feel tired, Nathan, you have a baby. You can write that stuff down if you want to, you know, you know what your wife would love. Hey, honey, I was on the pod with that blowhard again today. <laughs> and now he's got parenting advice for us. I'm sure that would go over great. But we've we already have kind of experienced that a little bit because we're both trying to work. He can't be at daycare this week, and anytime like he's awake, we caught ourselves like feeling bad. <laughs> we're like, no, like our baby's awake. Like we want to interact with him, but he's he's only four months old, so he all he can do is like sort of smile and giggle and then cry. And so um, you are we've already caught ourselves being like we can't think like that. It can't be like I wish he was asleep. Because he is going to sleep. He's going to sleep all night. So kind of try to find a way to appreciate those daytime moments where he's awake. All right. So this is our last thing. And there's a certain segment of people that love this. I had more comments the other day in a conversation about this. When we did the beat pod last year and we had everybody on who covers Ohio State, there are just some people who are fascinated with the Ohio State media. And often for good reason. So from the 813, what's going on with the musical chairs inside the world of Ohio State media? Bill Landis left The Athletic to join Austin Ward and Burham at Rivals. What's up with Letterman Rowe? Tony Gerdeman and Tom Moore and Kevin Noon have left Buckeye Scoop and they started Buckeye Huddle. Uh, Kirk Barton and Nevada Buck are still doing their thing um, at uh, Buckeye Scoop. Uh, Please bring us up to speed on all these changes and if you can, the why of it all. So I think that covers the changes for the most part. I do know like Colin Gay was running the rival site and got hired by the dispatch where he does Ohio state stuff for them now. And that created the opening. So when Austin Ward left Letterman row and then Berm left Letterman row, that's how there were openings at rivals. Um, Spencer Holbrook is still at Letterman row with the great Tim may. And I think they may add people still at some point. I think Matt Parker is there now, right? Yeah. They just added him. 
met Matt. He's a, he's a, a swell young man. Uh, the other big one is Cameron Teague, who mm-hmm. is a Northeast Ohio native, just took over as the beat writer for The Athletic, replacing Landis. So that is a big move. That's a big time job. So congratulations to Cameron. He was at, he started this week. He was at the news conference on Tuesday. He's covered college sports for a long time. He covered Louisville for the uh, career journal down there. So like he's an experienced guy on the college beat, like the why of it all. I was thinking about this. I think there's three parts to the why of all, why of it all. One is that there is so much interest in their team. People keep starting new ventures. I'm old enough that when I started on the beat in 205 in 2005, 11 Warriors didn't exist. I can remember when 11 Warriors became a thing. Now think about like 11 Warriors doesn't exist. And so then in that time, Land of 10 came along. That was like a national thing. They had an Ohio State site for a while. And then Letterman Row came along. And now um, there's kind of this new podcast venture that's here. And there's always something Buckeye Huddle is new and Buckeye Scoop is new. Nathan, one of the things is people keep investing in new Ohio state ventures because they think they could make money on it because Ohio state football is so popular. People look at a beat that has 10 to 12 outlets that cover Ohio state full time. And they think let's start number 13. And that the fact that new things pop up is one of the things that creates the movement. I thought it was funny. We got a message from Jerry Emig last week. It was something about the credentials or, and like, um, Oh, no, no, it was, he was trying to send an email to us and it, the, the system would only allow 500 emails to go out and there were like 508 on the list. And so the email didn't go out. And I thought to myself like, well, that's cause like four more sites started in the off season. Like we, somebody's got to like put a wall up and stop letting, but, but it's, you know, it, I've, I've been fascinated by that, that no matter how much saturation there seems to be here, somebody can always start something new that is a going concern and can like people can make a living off of it so that tells you uh, everything you need to know about just the the popularity of this i mean just another one today they were the the biggest uh the the Ohio state notre dame game was the the biggest um game of the week as far as like viewership by a, a yeah. pretty good chunk i think it had uh, more uh, viewers million. than yeah it had more viewers than the third and fourth games combined so i think it's fun when we're in interviews and Jerry's calling on people and have and seeing him have to remember the new places some of the people work out. Yeah. So Jerry Emick, yeah, when he calls on us, he'll say, Stephen means of Cleveland.com. Uh so he always puts, yeah, the the title of the of the outlet with the person. Yep. And there's been so many so much movement. And Austin Ward was at Letterman Row for a while and Landis was at the athletic for a while. So sometimes he gets it wrong and then everybody's like, You got my association wrong. So, but I mean, if you even think about it, the athletic is not a local venture, but like the minute the athletic started, they wanted Ohio State people. If the athletic didn't exist, like, no, I'm not trying to like Thanos, you guys out of existence, but I think Ari and Bill would still be here if the athletic never existed, right? Because that was a new thing that popped up out of nowhere. And often when you see the new things pop up, they want to hire a person on the beat. So that creates movement. So there's a couple of things. Another one is that there are na- there's national ownership with local sites, which I think can create, I don't want to say conflict, but sometimes it's like there's the boots on the ground. And then you have like, whether it's, 247 or Rivals or Scout or On3 or the people over the Mm -hmm. top. And there's an inherent push and pull to that that sometimes can lead to things snapping. It's kind of an interesting setup. 
of, of a business model. And then the other one is, uh, frankly, just like some of the outlets are set up to hire younger people. And then once you're there for a while, the setup of those businesses is they don't pay as much as some other places. And then at some point you can't stay there because like the job that you can afford to take when you're 22 or 24, maybe isn't the job that you think you can still have when you're 28. So there's an inherent cycle that comes to that, that there are people who sort of go from this site to the next site to the next site because of the pay structure of the different outlets involved. And the thing we've always said, we all cover Ohio State, but we all have different priorities. We all have different bosses. We all have different audiences. And so we don't all do it the same way. But Nathan, I, it's, it is really unusual you know, for Cameron to be coming in here after doing Louisville, like you said, like it's a completely different world. But, you know, there are other people. I've been here since 05. Dave Biddle and Steve Hellwagon have been at Bucknut since I got here. So there are there is a lot of movement. But there's also certain people who are locked in on the beat and at their place and are very happy and are very good at it and aren't going anywhere. So but more often than not, Nathan is sort of inherent it's not coincidental. It's almost required with the way, with the, the, the number of outlets and the business model and sort of the opportunity that other people think is always there because there is no such thing as too much Ohio State football coverage. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I told this story on the pod, but going to Big Ten Media Day this year, I was getting to my seat and there were two people behind me, at the table right behind me, who were introducing themselves to each other. And uh, the one guy goes, uh, oh, I'm so-and-so. I, I cover Ohio State. And the other one goes, oh, me too. And I have no idea who either of those two people are. <laughs> I yeah. think I do. I think I figured out, like, I, they, they're guys who, like, have blogs or do um, some things like that. But they weren't – there aren't guys who show up every week for the press conferences. So um, it's just – again, it's just there's, – there's an expanse here. I think we've talked about before. Like, this might be as big – numbers wise as there is talking college and pro sports like it's it's up there as far as just the sheer humanity that follows this team around i always say covering ohio state must feel like what it's like to cover a lebron james team well but see and i don't know how like the nba works anymore but it's like does the nba have letterman row like does the nba have every like the nba has like espn and yahoo and you well, know, the LA um, Times, but like fan sided sites and stuff like do they that. Have as, but are they at the games? Do they have as many as Ohio State does? That's the thing about Ohio State is there's so many digital sites that are dedicated specifically yeah. to only Ohio State sports. That are there, are there eight websites that only cover the Los Angeles Lakers and nothing else? Probably that's probably the one difference between pro and college is it's more likely to have sites like that in college than it is. Which is why I, I do general. think I, I don't think it is comparable to almost anything because there are the big things. There's the thing like the athletic, there's us and the dispatch and whatever, you know, traditional media. I don't know, but there's so many individual sites, some of whom are linked mm-hmm. nationally and some of whom are not. You know, Letterman Row is linked nationally now with on three. It wasn't at the start. The Ozone's existed forever without an oversight. You know, Buckeye Huddle and Buckeye Scoop, they don't have, they're just out on their own, but they think they can make it. Why? Because people love Ohio State football. Well, and what I think is interesting, like people love Cleveland Browns football too. Like we get huge traffic off our Cleveland Browns. Like that's our big beat, obviously. But you don't see the same thing like sprouting up around them, right? There's not a bunch. There isn't like five no. just independent websites. Exactly. With people that can make a living covering that team. It's it's different for Ohio State. It's different for college. 
Yep. It is. This mm-hmm. is a melding of, of this is everything. And, and it's, I just think it's, I just don't think any place else is like it. I and, really don't. I really I'm, don't. I'm curious if any of that is because at the pro level, they put up more of a wall as far as who's credentialed to come in and cover the team. Or if it is just an interest level thing that for some reason, college sports breaks through that barrier. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. You yeah. could do a book. Uh, ben Koo, who is from um, Awful Announcing, founded that site, I think. Really good on sports media. I saw him out at the game day stuff last week. He was like kind of hanging out, getting like a little game day tour. I was on the media side of the game day fence, and he was on the inside of the game day fence. So Ben is an Ohio State fan, knows a lot about Ohio State football. He was on that pod from like an overall perspective. I mean, he runs a site about sports media. So he's really smart about that. It, it would be... I mean, it would be interesting to a select group of people like this, write a book about life covering Ohio State for a year, right? I think people think they think they would be interested in that. And then it's like chapter three, Nathan. (laughs) The idea sounds more interesting than the actual execution of that book. Chapter eight, Bill Rabinowitz. Chapter 11, Bill Landis. Chapter 12. The difference between Bill Rabinowitz and Bill Landis. Chapter one of them's 15. got a chill and the other ones doesn't, according to C.J. Stroud. How much does Ari Wasserman miss the Ohio State beat? Chapter 15. One time Tim May was flying a plane and it flipped over. <laughs> like, it's just, I mean, for really? Is that? Chapter 16. Doug wears pink headphones. Like, what? So, it's not ever going to happen. Okay. Quick break. We'll wrap it up soon. Here on Buckeye Talk. So Nathan and Steven coming to you from practice at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center Wednesday night. Had a pretty interesting session, I thought, with uh, a good batch of guys, seven guys, I think it was, tonight. And uh, interesting, interesting topics. I want to start with Matt Jones, who is kind of one of the topics of conversation this week because we don't know for sure what's going on with Luke Whipler. So we did see Jackson Smith at Jigba. should say that first. Did see Jackson Smith at Jigba come off the practice field, look like he participated in workouts to some extent. Didn't go get an ice bath or whatever afterwards. Sometimes you, that's a more of a telltale sign that a guy was really out there working, but um, was participated in some way, had the compression tights on his left leg which was the leg he was trying to get loose during the game last week and it did some work afterwards on the jugs machine so um i don't know that the narrative the the thought on him has necessarily changed a lot i think it's probably evaluation still going to on, be ongoing but certainly a better sign than not that they saw him we saw him participating in some way now with luke whipler you and i were both looking for him and i did not see him and i have not seen anyone else report that they saw him tonight have you we're, we're recording this a little time after we got back from practice tonight but i haven't seen anybody else say that whipler was practicing today yeah i haven't seen it anywhere i didn't see him and i saw the other four starting off yeah. bomb and plus like the presumed like interior substitute guy in enoch Mahi. Right. So Matt Jones would be one of the guys, and he confirmed that he has taken some reps at center this week, said he has not been told uh, who's going to start. There's been no indication yet what's going to happen with that. So it's maybe it's possible that Whipler was at some portion of practice tonight. I don't know. Um, Matt uh, Ryan Day had said earlier in the week that it would be either Jones or Jacob James who would take the center spot but we've all kind of assumed that if you're going by like who's the next best offensive lineman 
it's probably Vamahi, which would make more sense to just put him at guard and maybe make Jones the center, especially for a matchup like this, Arkansas State. Uh, but Matt Jones was an interesting story in his own right, uh, saying that he had 102-degree fever the night before the game last week, which is a significant fever. That's like that's not like not mess around. Um, and Donovan Jackson alluded to him having to take an IV and stuff, and uh, – Somehow he said he never had any doubt that he was going to play and play. He did. I think he missed one snap of the game on Saturday night, which is kind of insane considering the shape he was apparently in 24 hours before. Matthew Jones is a better man than me. I'm not playing football when I had a two degree fever the night before, especially when I'm an offensive line and my job is to push people around. So kudos to him. I shouted, even kind of mentioned it earlier in the week that he was dealing with some stuff and really kudos to him because he played very well. Like Donovan Jackson and Matthew Jones were moving people. So if he was sick, we didn't know it until CJ said something. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not watching football if I've got 102 degree fever, probably. I'm probably passed out somewhere. So again, mm-hmm. like, I don't think Donovan Jackson referred to him as a warrior. And that would uh, be an apt description, I guess, for someone to, to make that kind of rebound. And he seemed fine tonight. So obviously not a, a long term thing for him either. Um, somebody else you talked to more extensively on offense was uh, Mecca Ubuka and kind of getting into some of the nitty gritty of what it means to be a slot receiver in this offense. And he's obviously going to be asked to do some other things. I mean, especially if Jackson Smith and Jigba can't play, but or maybe more to the point when Jackson Smith and Jigba can play, mm-hmm. I think Mecca Ubuka is going to find a way onto the field in other ways. So he's not just a slot guy, but he kind of got into why that dynamic is a little bit different in this offense. Mecca Buka took me to football school tonight, and I love when these players take me to football school. I think he's the most interesting person to ask these questions because, as we've talked about all offseason, if there's anybody that we believe Brian Hartline when he says everybody's working at everywhere, it's him because he legitimately is. He actually did play everywhere on Saturday except X because, you know, obviously Marvin Harrison didn't come off the field, but he was in the slot when Jackson first got hurt, and then once they realized that Jackson's not coming back and Xavier Johnson was probably the better th- – fit there than having Jaden Ballard on the field. He went back out to Z. So he's kind of a little bit of everywhere. And one of the things I wanted him to explain is like, what's the mindset when you're in the two different spots, especially, especially when it's like you're in a slot and it's zone versus like in the slot versus man, because man coverage is pretty simple. If you're in a slot, you're probably matched up on a safety and he's going to eat. He even says that he, he likes it because it's a, it's a mismatch. He's a bigger receiver. He's faster. And most safeties just aren't used to going against man to man coverage because it's not what they do. Well, on the outside, it's like beat your man or, you know, find a soft spot in the zone, but it's a little different we're in the slot and that soft spot in the zone can be anywhere from the far side of the field to, you know, the bound everywhere else on the field. And so it was interesting hearing him get into some of those conversations and understanding that, you know, first thing you got to do is eat up the extra space, because if you're in the slot, most of the time you're not seeing press man. So you've got to eat that up and then you've got to know, have good spatial awareness. You've got to know where to be. You've got to have reliable hands in there. That's actually more important than what you're able to do with the ball once you get it. While, but I did ask him like, off to the side a little bit more. He said, I like to think of myself as a running back when I catch the ball. So after after I have it secure, he's now in a running back mindset, which is where the making the first guy miss or breaking off a few tacklers. And he even mentioned the fact that one thing you see in the NFL is there's different body types in the slot. And that's true here too, because he and Jackson aren't completely similar. 
Jackson's a little bit more lean than him. He's a bit, he's a bit of a, he's a rocked up dude. Like quite frankly, he's a, he's a large human being even for six foot one. And so it was interesting hearing him kind of give these examples of, you know, this is how I have to think when I'm in here versus this is how I have to think outside. And really it's a lot more thinking that goes into playing in the slot. Did he talk about the play that got a lot of notice to throw behind him? Yeah, I think CJ gave a better answer. I, I even tried to like preface it with, hey, here's CJ's perspective. Here's your perspective on this. And he was just, you know, miscommunication. Um, things were bad, and we would work on it next time. He gave kind of the coach answer there. Hmm. On the defensive side of things, uh, we got to talk to, not which wasn't my favorite thing, Zach Harrison and uh, JT Tuimolo out together. Um, yeah. That was maybe not the best way to do that, but they loved it. Yeah, I'm sure they did. But I thought Zach Harrison actually gave some really interesting answers. And someone had asked him what was the maybe most telltale sign of the difference in the defense from last year to this year. Like what one play epitomized that? And he said it was the first play after, I guess, the second play of the game or really the the response to the big play that Notre Dame had to start the game. And he said uh, last year that would have been Last year, we would have folded. Last year, we would have panicked. Last year, they would have scored a touchdown. And then he said, later, after that one play, we were rolling. Every tackle we made felt like a third down sack. And I thought that was a really enlightening way to get into their mindset because that was a little bit palpable, I thought, during that game. That Yes, they gave up some big plays, but except for the one touchdown drive, they kept uh, locking it off eventually. And you could sort of feel that energy there or see that energy on the field that uh, the there were successes kind of piling on successes. And instead of in big games last year where you had a defense that was a little bit on its heels, this defense, even if it made a mistake or even if Notre Dame had a big chunk success, this defense kind of stayed with kept its edge through that whole time. Yeah, whether we're talking to Knowles or talking to some of the players, the I mean, composure has been the the key thing this year that maybe they didn't have last year. And maybe some of that's just a lot of these guys got snaps last year, so they're just a little bit more experienced. But then also they're just not panicking in general. And that's a that's that's a reflection of the coaching staff more than anything. Because if the coaching staff is is panicking, of course a bunch of nineteen and twenty year olds are, are panicking. I think the most interesting thing that those two did together was when somebody asked about Mike Hall. And Zach Harrison's giving a normal explanation of what make, makes my call good. And then JT just cuts him off and goes, baby Aaron Donald. That's what I call him. And Zach's like, yeah, yeah, baby Aaron Donald. And then like 15 seconds after that happens, Cameron Brown, who had nothing to do with the conversation, just went, y'all talking about my call? Aaron Donald. And there it was. So now we have it. My call and Aaron Donald are going to be in a headline somewhere together. Yeah. And uh, I... He- you know, I was asking, um, it came up in another conversation. Oh, so Donovan Jackson was asked mm-hmm. why it's hard to, wh- what makes Mike Hall Jr. tough to block? And he said that it's difficult because he's, the way he started was, well, he can easily beat you with his quickness, which isn't the first thing you might necessarily think about Mike Hall just because of his size and the position he plays. But like, he can easily beat you with his quickness. So you have to make sure that you have depth as an offensive lineman so that you're not getting beaten with that first step. But then the problem is, if you're, if you're, I think if you're kind of retracting from a stance or whatever, 
he's so powerful that if your momentum is going the wrong way, if you're not kind of controlling the space, then now you're he's he's going to knock you back mm-hmm. that way too. And either way, the quote he was, if I'm not on my A game, I know he'll be high-fiving CJ in the backfield, which is, I guess, what they do. Instead of actually sacking the quarterback, they just go back and give him a high-five. But that, to me, epitomized what we had been kind of hearing through camp was that he was coming along, and it goes to what uh, Ryan Day and Jim Knowles were talking about after the game on Saturday. I guess it was Jim Knowles saying, we went to the offensive linemen or the offensive linemen were coming to us, whatever that, whatever the conversation was, the offensive linemen were telling us like, we can't block this guy. Like he probably needs to play. And mm-hmm. that's, that seems to be an example of it. It's very interesting. That sophomore class. And obviously I'm pretty sure you've rewatched the game. I've rewatched the game and how often we saw the four defensive linemen on third down, especially be the four sophomores. And if you pause the clip, and just without knowing anything that happened, and you go, somebody got a sack, especially that last third and 10, that was like the most money down I've ever seen in my life. If we had to pause that in like May, and somebody showed us that clip, you said, which one of those four gets the sack? I think my call is the last one that comes out of all of our minds at that point. And he's beating everybody to the quarterback. And I'm, the Aaron Donald thing is cool, but it was specifically his quick burst off the line of scrimmage. It's not everything that Aaron Donald is because that's a freak of nature. But if you have that small little piece of what Aaron Donald is, that's pretty dangerous when you're combining it with some of the other pieces they have. Yeah, I mean, there was there was obviously a minute ago where Aaron Donald was like pound for pound the best football player in the NFL. Yes. So let's maybe like yesterday. Well, you mean like nine months ago in <laughs> SoFi Stadium? <laughs> let's like pump the brakes on that a yeah. little bit. But I, I get what they're getting at. I think it's as long as you say it in context, I think it's okay. Yes. To because again, it speaks to because I think these guys know these guys, especially like Zach Harrison, has had to deal with like comparisons. JT mm-hmm. to comes into um, his college career with like all these expectations on his back, so I think they know maybe not to to dump something on a guy that he can't handle, but it says something about just how excited they are by what they're seeing from Mike Hall right now. Lastly, um, there was one more thing I wanted to bring up. Oh, JT Tumaloa, he was asked, again, talking about just the defensive performance overall, and he said everything that was out there, we were ready for it. He was talking about the preparation that they went through coming into that game, the coaching staff, Jim Knowles on down. And I thought, again, that was maybe an important, if you're making a comparison to last year, where they clearly weren't prepared for some things that they saw. I mean, the Oregon game really stands out. I don't think that was the only example of that. And this is kind of a new era that the the Jim Knowles' way of preparing and teaching it and filtering it down through Perry Eliano and through Tim Walton and through Larry Johnson seems to be working. And, and Knowles has talked about that too, that it's not just those guys. It's all those guys he brought in from Duke and Oklahoma State who know his system and the the GAs and the the quality controls, whatever, like all those those sub staffers are mm-hmm. the ones who are helping implement this stuff too. And the information is is filtering down the right way and it's getting processed the right way. It sounds like that's only one example, and it's an frankly an offense that was limited. We you know they have one great player on offense in Meyer, and they had a quarterback who could do a little bit, and nobody else really like worried you that much from a skill standpoint. So there's going to be tougher things. We'll see what happens against Braylon Allen here in a couple weeks, and whether Graham Mertz is is good at all anymore or at all ever now. 
<laughs> I guess I wouldn't say anymore because he wasn't ever really that good, but maybe he'll be good now. Anyway, um, bigger challenges await. And I think from an offensive standpoint, uh, not these next two weeks, but that's still an interesting thing to hear that the pl- you could tell that these players went into the game with more confidence and then the confidence built as that game went along. I think that's very much applicable to applicable. Wow. Now I'm messing up words applicable to the back seven. I think the defensive line is just playing better than they were last year. Like last year it was the Penn state game where it's, we're all in agreement that Tyree Smith was probably the best football player on the field that day, but then he's hurt. And so he really only did it maybe one other time. And then like Michigan state's their offense went flat line. The moment it was clear, they couldn't run the ball with Kenneth Walker and Ohio state was, throwing the ball all over the place. And so it was no consistent play. And yes, it's only one game. So you're right. Let's see what happens against Wisconsin and, you know, Notre Dame, uh, well, uh, Penn State and on down the list here. But that was the one takeaway I took really from fall camp on was how much everybody was talking about how this defensive line was getting after it. Because all this other stuff is cool. But if, it, if, if this defensive line is not doing what it's supposed to do, it impacts the ability for the linebackers and Tommy Eichenberg to do what he did on Saturday. It impacts Ronnie Hickman and Lathan Ransom to do what they did. But this all comes back to Larry Johnson's units playing better than it did a year ago. And that's some of that is because the younger talented guys are playing and getting the opportunity. Well, look at last year's defensive line. You had uh, ha- uh, Tyreek Smith, he's already said, banged up yep. for part of the year. You had Haskell Garrett, who was playing through injury most of the year and was yep. probably extend to expect him to be like a like all American level talent was always a little bit pushing it. Mm-hmm. I thought for him, very good player and did good things for the program. I just think that that wasn't what his ceiling was necessarily going to be realistically. And then you had, you know, these really ultra talented guys who were also in their first year, one of which showed up in July. So at the end of July, so mm-hmm. you see maybe why, and you can do that at every level of the defense last year. So that's why things were a little bit fractured on the defensive line. And then at uh, linebacker, you had Steel Chambers, who had just been a running back. And the the Mike linebacker, you know, Cody Simon was banged up all year. And in the secondary, Josh Proctor gets hurt. And there's other weird things going on with seven banks. Like there's so many positions where you could look at and and there was a chink in the armor and they didn't have that second answer. And then now some of those things aren't, problems anymore like some of those guys are healthier and uh but all those guys are a year older the ones who are still here and are are playing better and i but also i think that there is a different underlying like confidence from the the system that they're playing in i think there has there was a buy-in at some point in the off season that had them more confident as soon as they stepped on the field saturday and i think what happened after that first play saturday only kind of reinforce that. I think they're going to be even more confident going into this game. I agree, especially now that they've seen it happen in a real game. As Tanner McAllister said when we talked to the safeties before the season, he's like, this is all cool, but we need to go do it. They've done it, and now they have something to work on. It's not just in theory anymore, except the only problem is now they're going to play two opponents that they're going to beat by 40. So that was the last look, and we will see who gets actually on the field Saturday. We'll keep you updated on what's going on with Jackson Smith and Jigba with Luke Whipler. Get the text 614-350-3315. We're watching as guys walk into the stadium. We're watching as uh, they're doing their first stretching. We're watching when the real warm up started and we're texting all that stuff. Like we've, we've said before, we think the most valuable thing around a, 
during the season almost can be those texts that we're sending out before the game because that's like as stuff is happening, we're just sending it straight to your phone. 614-350-3215. Get a two-week free trial. What do you got to lose? And that'll do it. Thanks to you guys for listening. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.